Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello. And today we are talking about Circe by Madeline Miller, and we're going to talk about some books you might want to read that are similar to Circe or that deal with the story in a different way, um, as well as some great recipes to go with it. So Circe is also the August book club pick. Melissa, would you like to tell us a little bit more about the novel? Sure. So Circe tells the story of a somewhat minor character found in the Odyssey written by Homer back in the in the days before Rome. And Circe is a she's the daughter of Helios and a naiad, right? Isn't that right? I think so. The genealogies get so complicated. <laughs> but she's a goddess and um she's also a witch, which is kind of a novel thing among her kind. Her brother and sister are also witches. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of the long and the short of it is that when she was sort of a, a young goddess, she was exiled to an island to live out all of eternity by herself um, without any any gods or goddesses around to hang out with her. And in the Odyssey, her island is one that Odysseus and his crew of men come upon in their journey from Troy back to Ithaca after the Trojan War. And in the course of the story, um, Circe, Circe uh, she's, she's best known for turning men into pigs. <laughs> Especially men that um, try to take advantage of her as a as a way to teach them a lesson. She turns them completely body and bones into the form of a pig, but leaves their minds intact as a as a really specific form of of retribution. So um, the the book by Emily Will or not Emily Wilson. We'll get to her later. Uh, the book by Madeline Miller um, zeroes in on Cersei, who is is a minor character in the odyssey you know she's 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 one of the one of the many characters um but madeline miller really takes a closer look at her and her whole life and she does a really good job of gathering source material from throughout ancient and modern sources so a lot of what she's bringing into this novel are things that i didn't know and i'm a huge classics nerd i've you know, I've read the Odyssey for many years, but, um, you know, going back to these origin stories that aren't necessarily in the Odyssey, but you find in other ancient texts like Metamorphoses or um, the Iliad, other assorted ancient texts. Um, so that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about the novel was getting a lot of these backstories like about Scylla and some of the other gods involved in in the novel Circe, but also in in other mythological tales. Um, so I'm excited about it to talk about it on the podcast. I'm excited to to have our book club meeting about it. What did you think about it, Carrie? Well, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did want to say that not being that familiar with the Odyssey or the myth, I don't think, and I don't think you have to be. So if you yeah, at all, I would agree. 
if you're all at all nervous because you're not a <laughs> not a lifelong reader of mythology, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very accessible. Um, I read the book during a period where our power was out during those summer storms earlier this summer, and um, it was it was the perfect atmosphere for reading it. It's kind of a kind of dark and stormy, and you know all these mysterious things were happening in the novel (laughs) (laughs) um i i we've talked before about the language in the novel and Mm -hmm. you were you were listening to it while i read it um but we had similar experiences with um although we both really enjoyed it and enjoyed the story um the language was a little bit awkward in places. She's very lyrical, but um, there's kind of an odd mix of contemporary colloquialisms combined with some antiquated... Sort of old-timey, (laughs) out-of-place ways of saying things. Yes. Um, Yeah, there were were times when I found myself like, really, another simile? she really as dry as the desert or whatever <laughs> like <laughs> I don't even remember but she you know in her her way her path towards this beautiful very descriptive way of telling the story you know there's only so many ways to do comparisons and and illustrate things for a reader um, and I found with the audio there are some sometimes like I found this to be true with Exit West where like some things that you wouldn't necessarily notice when you're reading it on the page really are highlighted by audio. Mm -hmm. Um, Like in Exit West, it was just the longest sentences I've ever read or listened to. And for some people that's fine, but it was like one of the things that sort of, um, it it made me come out of the immersion in the story. Mm -hmm. And that happened a, a few times with Cersei where it was just like, okay. Can we find another way to say that? <laughs> but one of the things that I thought Miller did really well, um, beyond just pulling in information from many different sources, she also picks up on sort of the, the these very minor mentions that you find in Homer and a few of the other sources about how Cersei is characterized by those sources and then you know she weaves that into this whole epically large personality that reverberates throughout the story does that make sense sort of like how she um Homer talks about how Cersei has the voice of a mortal Mm -hmm. and how that affects not only how she speaks to mortals, but also other aspects of her personality. Um, right. I think Miller does a really nice job of of bringing that to life beyond just an anecdotal. Yeah, she's mention. sort of expanding on the hints that she gets from the ancient texts. Right. Yeah, and I thought I thought she did a really nice job of that. Where, and I didn't really notice it until reading interviews with her. Mm-hmm. where she talks about how, you know, that that's actually in the text and she pulls it out and and really focuses on that and develops it and says, you know, what when different questions come up in the story, how is, you know, how is Cersei going to deal with motherhood or deal with 
a band of men that have landed on her island and want to take advantage of her. Like when these questions come up of how Cersei would actually react and what she would say and what she would do, you know, she's able to rely on on those very small characterizations and answer those questions. Mm-hmm. And make her a complex character from right. something that wasn't wasn't fleshed out at all. Right. And it also makes her, you know, really interesting because she has this, that, that mortal voice thing immediately gives this conflict of um, her. She's different from the other she's gods. She's different from the other mm-hmm. gods. And she is able to relate more to humans because they're not afraid of her mm-hmm. um, because she doesn't sound like a god. Yeah. And and I feel like when you're, you know, if you were reading the Odyssey, you just wouldn't even register that as being important. But right. it really, you know, once you're aware of it and understand what that means in the context of Circe as a goddess, but also almost closer to mortal, but still has all of these godly powers. And there's a tension there that um, I think you can see throughout the novel. Absolutely. Is pork the obvious food to go with Cersei, or is that just creepy and weird? Well, I mean, Cersei in her own right is kind of creepy and weird, so I think I think it's right. Well, I um, we have this great book called The Olive and the Caper: Adventures in Greek Cooking by Susanna Hoffman, and I mean, you don't really think of pork as being a Greek food, and and it's not really eaten. No, a lot way more, them, way more lamb, I think, by them now. But apparently, the you know the ancient Greeks did eat a lot of pork. There are a couple of pork recipes in this book that sound pretty good. A couple of pork stews. Oh. Um. Then of course. Um, Telegonus's favorite meal was stuffed fish, mm. and there's a very lovely-sounding fish recipe in this book. I don't know. What what did you think? Well, I think whenever I, I ponder Greek mythology, I, it's, you know, rife with reclining and eating olives and grapes and <laughs> things that you can dip bread in and cheeses and wine definitely wine you know mm-hmm. the spreads that she that Cersei often lays out for her visitors um so i i would definitely go with the fresh quick bread like a pita um paired with you know a, a very nice olive oil maybe some some spices and cheese and definitely olives and maybe some cured pork <laughs> <laughs> to go alongside <laughs> but if you want like like a whole meal, sure, go for the stew <laughs> and the stuffed fish. Well, I also read 
Eudora Welty has a short story called Circe, the same title, um, and I read that after, actually I think I may have read it in the midst of reading Circe because I saw the reference on Madeline Miller's website and Eudora Welty is one of my favorite writers and that was a story I didn't remember reading before and I was completely taken with Welty's description of Circe's broth. Um, so let me... I'm excited. Let me read that description. I tasted and it was perfect, Welty writes, swimming with oysters from my reef and flecks of golden pork, redolent with leaves of bay and basil and rosemary, with a glass of island wine tossed in at the last. It has been my infallible recipe. Circe's broth. All the gods have heard of it and envied it. Wow, that sounds extravagant. I mean, she kind of gives you the recipe right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, next time I have oysters, I'm, I'm really tempted to try whipping up some Circe broth. Um, although, this is also the broth that d- turns <laughs> the men into <laughs> pigs. So. Well, you know, you got to have the right words. you got to have the power. But you can taste what they tasted before they were pigs. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> anyway, that um, that recipe kind of had soup and broth on my brain. Um, so even though in Miller's book it's wine that she uses to turn the men into into swine. Um, one of my favorite soup recipes is green vegetable soup with egg and lemon from Tessa Kiros's book, Apples for Jam. And it's packed with all sorts of delicious green vegetables and Circe being a gardener, that mm-hmm. just really makes sense. Um, basically any kind of green vegetable you can think of. Um, celery, peas, zucchini, lettuce, watercress, spinach, um, and I've substituted lots of different vegetables, and it always turns out amazing. Um, and the egg and lemon, so you temper in the egg and lemon at the end so the eggs don't scramble in the soup. Um, that's actually a Greek method. I was going to say, that sounds like a the Greek egg and lemon soup. <laughs> yes. Um, so she is Kyros, the author of that recipe she her father is greek cypriot um anyway i there are there is a recipe for the egg and lemon soup in um, the olive and the caper they both involved broth made from lamb or fish or chicken stock um i don't know to me the vegetables just uh, always i i would prefer it with vegetables um so that's that's what i would make sounds like we're gonna have a great meal yeah (laughs) from appetizers to soup to stew and wine to go with it it's definitely a book that that deserves multiple dishes we'll have to take a look at it i'm excited
So after you've read Circe, or maybe instead of reading Circe, <laughs> you, <laughs> you might want to check out some other books about um, Circe and the other characters mm -hmm. um, surrounding it. I mentioned that story by Eudora Welty. It was really interesting to read a short story which compresses everything, kind of tightens the action after reading that more sweeping novel of Madeline Miller's. Um, Welty focuses just on Odysseus's visit to the island, so it's a much shorter time period, but at the same time, she meditates on Circe's relationship to time and grief, so it, it's it compresses, but in some ways it also enlarges the it's subject still from matter. Circe's perspective? It is, right. It's still okay. from Circe's perspective. Um, and then Margaret Atwood has written some poems about Circe. Um, they're called the Circe Mud Poems, and you can find that in her the first volume of her selected poems, which we have available as an ebook ebook on Hoopla. The poem Pig Song is told from the point of view of one of the transformed pigs, and I just wanted to read a little section <laughs> of that. This is what you changed me to, a gray-pink vegetable with slug eyes, buttock incarnate, spreading like a slow turnip, a skin you stuff so you may feed in your turn, a stinking wart of flesh, a large tuber of blood which munches and bloats. Oh, God. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so very, very descriptive, very... Um, vivid. It's yes. <laughs> a vivid picture. <laughs> oh, leave it to Atwood. <laughs> and then she also has a book called The Penelope Ad. Um, which we actually both <laughs> read as well. We've had the month of mythology. And that tells the story from the point of view of Penelope. So it's kind of the Odyssey, but from Penelope's point of view. Um, I thought it provided a, an interesting contrast of perspectives to read both of those right after each other, or to read Pen the Penelope right after Circe. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I it's a little different because she is narrating it from death, mm -hmm. from the other side of the river Styx, and, you know, has this great hindsight over everything. Um, it was interesting to pair it with the with Cersei. I, I think I prefer Cersei to mm -hmm. the penalty ad, but, you know, anything that it expands the story beyond just Odysseus and his perspective, I think is is nice. Mm -hmm. It's nice to hear the the tale of the women that don't get to speak very often. Yeah. Um, and even uh, one thing that I liked about the Penelope ad was she also let the um, the maids who were hanged, they served as the chorus in the book so you definitely got voices there that you wouldn't otherwise hear absolutely yeah and for those not familiar with the story at the end of the odyssey when odysseus returns and finds his palace overrun with suitors 
he slaughters them all, but then he also slaughters some of the servants who had been consorting with the suitors. And that was one aspect of the Penelope ad that I found really important, hearing Penelope's side of that that story in particular, and then also hearing the voices of the maids themselves, which I think using them as a chorus, um, I think it works sometimes better than others in the book, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was an interesting way to bring them in. Mm -hmm. And I think she also produced the Penelope ad as a play. Oh, yeah. So I think, you know, it might it might actually work better just going for the, the play format than trying mm -hmm. to write it as a novel. Yeah, that kind of, that makes sense. I mean, one, one thing I, I didn't like about it as much was it, it really didn't portray scenes in my head. You know, it sounded more like someone... Penelope just talking mm -hmm. um although I did appreciate her voice and mm -hmm. it was definitely a more modern right voice. it was very very modern in my my perspective my take on it is very modern and almost like distractingly at sometimes mm -hmm. um especially in some of the chorus scenes where it's like very self-aware and very meta mm -hmm. in some cases which you don't get in the, the ancient texts that right. like Miller is trying to emulate them sort of mm -hmm. in, a, in some ways, but Atwood definitely is not. Right. It's a, it's a modern Penelope. Yeah. She's even sometimes funny. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so what else um, would you recommend to go with? Well, um, there are, as we have gone over how many Circe adaptations, there are many, many adaptations from the authors have taken from the Odyssey and run with. But uh, I do want to mention for anyone who has read the Odyssey or hasn't read the Odyssey or has read Circe and hasn't, you know, doesn't know as much about the original Homeric poem to pick up the new translation of the Odyssey, which is translated by Emily Wilson. Uh, it was just published earlier this year, and it's the first major translation in English that's done by a woman. And um, there's a lot of things that I really like about this translation. I'm a classics nerd, so you have to have to forgive me for that. I've got opinions about the Odyssey. I've been <laughs> reading it and listening to it for years and years. Um, so in a lot of ways, reading Circe was like visiting old friends mm -hmm. um, and, and learning more stories about them. But um, the this new translation, um, I'm excited about it for many, many reasons. But one of the major reasons is that Emily Wilson approaches the text with a critical eye towards her choices as translator. She's done some, <laughs> I feel silly mentioning this, but she has a really amazing Twitter. And she does these, uh, just- Because of course, she's, the translator of, of the course, Odyssey has a modern, Twitter. <laughs> modern uh, ancient scholar um, would have a great Twitter. And she does these great threads that where she sort of tackles these larger themes of not only the characters and their stories and through the Odyssey, but also 
her role in translating them and you know whether that is word choice you know talking about she has this great thread about the opening lines of the odyssey and how different men because it's it's only ever been translated by white men right so looking at the different ways that men throughout the years have translated those opening lines from the greek to english and other languages um, but then she goes and she really takes a deep dive and looks at the individual words and how they can be construed in different ways and how that affects the characterization of our hero um, and and how that affects the rest of the story like just looking at two lines she mm-hmm. spends like 20 20 tweets on it and it's just great I love it because that's that's who I am but um, so you know she takes takes on two lines at a time or she talks about you know the how she decided to write in iambic pentameter instead of another meter and why that choice was important as opposed to you know not just why she chose something but why she decided to not choose something else and how that affects the storytelling um it's I really suggest you check out her Twitter. It's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you consider the evolution of these particular stories in the Western canon of collective mythologies and how they have almost always been translated by white men, I think Wilson's point of view is both compelling and important. And it really doesn't hurt that her poetry is pretty good, too. You know, she's not just going word by word. She's trying to make it into something that should be read mm-hmm. the way Homer was originally read because <laughs> it was, it, you know, transcribed from the oral tradition. Uh, this, much like Madeline Miller, the stories come to life through her language, and and it makes it easy to read. Instead, you know, you don't have to trip up on things you don't understand or things you don't know. It flows really easily, and there's so much plot in the Odyssey. You just jump from situation to situation, so it keeps it moving. Um, and it's, yeah, there's always a tension that arises when moving between languages. And I really just appreciate the way Wilson approaches the challenge. Um, I, I can't wait for the audio whenever that eventually comes around because that's, it's just, it, you know, it's meant to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I think her, her translation of it will be beautiful Yeah. on audio. I, I can't wait to see who they get to do it. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. I want to go to a read-through. <laughs> like, I told you, I'm a nerd about it. It's fine. That's okay. We're, you're in the right place. <laughs> We're all nerds together. Well, and Emily Wilson is sister to B. Wilson, who wrote Consider the Fork, one of uh, mm-hmm. a favorite of the podcast here. At that's that's right. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so quite a family there. Um, so, yeah, I think... If you like Cersei and if you want to go deeper <laughs> or if you want to, you know, revisit those characters and that you've read before, written in a Shakespearean dialect or whatever, definitely check out the new translation by Emily Wilson. Okay, we will. Thanks. So I also wanted to mention 
an ancient alternative to the male-centered and violent epics of Homer, and that is, if not winter, Fragments of Sappho, which was translated by Anne Carson. And Sappho was a musician and lyricist, and that's literally, she wrote her lyrics to be sung and to be accompanied by the lyre. Um, and she lived on the Greek island of Lesbos from about 630 BC, which I think is a, roughly 100 years after Homer, Homer wrote the Odyssey. Something like that. According to the book jacket, of the nine books of lyrics Sappho is said to have composed, none of the music is extant and only one poem has survived complete. All the rest are fragments. So If Not Winter presents Sappho's lyrics side by side in both Greek and English. Some of the fragments contain only a phrase or a word, often the translator Carson uses brackets to indicate missing text. But what remains is really beautiful and haunting, and it hints at what life was like for one ancient Greek woman. One fragment reads, Stars around the beautiful moon hide back their luminous form whenever all full she shines on the earth silvery and another eros shook my mind like a mountain wind falling on an oak tree and another that's perfect for books and bites and gold chickpeas were growing on the banks <laughs> that's you know those lines are all that's on the page sometimes there's only a word that is left on the page because that's all that remains of her work. Um, and the fact that so much is missing makes the book more mysterious. You have to fill in the gaps yourself. It kind of reminds me of reading erasure poems where writers erase words from other texts in order to make something new. Mm -hmm. Only, of course, time is the actual eraser oh, here. Oh, wow, that's deep. <laughs> that's deep. Um, but as Sappho says in one of the fragments, someone will remember us, I say, even in another time. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We'd love to hear your comments or suggestions, so feel free to email us at podcast at jesspublib.org. We record in the recording studio at the Jessamine County Public Library. You can find out more about the library, our recording studio, and the books and recipes we talked about in this episode on our website at jesspublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whidden from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can hear Scott live in concert at our next What's Brewing on Thursday, September 13th at 7.30 p.m. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com.